and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Jonah, specifically verses 6 through 9, where we will see that the cost of our idolatry is always high. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. I had the privilege this morning after church service, there were two people, the one that talked to me, I'd never seen them before, they weren't visitors. And the question the person had for me, how do I know if I'm drawing closer to Christ? I want to grow closer to Christ. How do I know if I actually am? It's a great question. How would you know if you are growing closer to Christ? Could you know? Put another way, how could you know if you are better remembering Christ every moment of every day? What I said to the individual was, you know that you're moving closer to Christ if you have a greater appetite for the Bible. If you have a priority to be in prayer regularly with the Lord. You are growing closer to Christ if you want to be with his people. You're here tonight. You could be doing other things in a beautiful summer night, but you want to be near to Christ and his word, and you want to be near to each other. It's beautiful. Where's the rest of the church? How do you know you're growing closer to Christ? You have a deeper awareness of your own sin. And when you're growing closer to Christ, Sin generally burdens you. When you're growing closer to Christ, you get burdened over the things that burden Jesus. When you're growing closer to Christ, you get joyful over the things that bring Jesus joy. When you're growing closer to Christ, you don't see people as fat or skinny, black or white, rich or poor, educated or uneducated, old or young. You see people as lost or saved when you're growing closer to Christ. And when you're aware of someone that you can influence who is lost in sin and not going to heaven, you share the gospel with them before you sit in the front pew of their funeral knowing that you should have. When you're growing closer to Christ, these are some of the markers you have. Very practical, very objective. Am I growing closer to Christ? Not as fast as I'd like to. That's a great question. How do I know that I'm actually growing closer to Christ? Well, old Jonah remembered the Lord before we move off of seven, let me just double back to verse six. He says to God, but thou hast brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, that is the Hebrew name Yahweh, a name so holy to a Jew, they never vocalized it, so they changed it to Jehovah. It's the name of God that stresses his sovereignty and his promise keeping. So he says, but thou hast brought my life up from the pit, O sovereign promise keeper. My God, different name for God in the Hebrew here, Elohim, strong one, mighty. So Jonah's praying in verse 7, while I was fainting away, I remembered Yahweh, sovereign 
promise-keeping God, my mighty God, verse 6. While I was fainting away, verse 7, I remembered Yahweh, sovereign God, promise-keeper. And my prayer came to thee into thy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Here's the Hebrew word for hesed. Hesed means loyal love. Hesed means mercy. Hesed means grace. This is a very important precept, principle. When we give our attention to idols, money, sports, shopping, health, when we give our attention to vain idols, something negative happens. We walk away from our awareness of God's mercy and grace. I mean, after all, if you can find mercy and grace in shopping, you don't really think of the true giver of mercy and grace, who is God. Idols come in many different sizes, shapes, but those who regard vain idols, whatever they would be, forsake their faithfulness, we could add, from God. It's not their own mercy and grace and loyal love. No, no, no. It's what God has for them, his mercy, his grace, and his loyal love. This is saying that to the degree that I have idols in my life, to that degree I am forsaking God's grace and mercy. Conversely, to the degree that I am camped on God's mercy, focused on God's grace, to that degree, I am forsaking idols. The two don't go together. So if I have an idol in my life, then I need to draw my heart back to God's grace and mercy and his loyal love for me. How do I do that? Through his word. How do I do that? Through worship with other believers. How do I do that? With prayer. How do I do that? Practically. Those who regard vain idols forsake th- their faithfulness. Has said, mercy, grace comes from God, but, another but that turns everything around, but I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving that which I vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. So picture this. We've got a prophet in a whale's gastric juices in his stomach with seaweed wrapped around his head with incredible stench, with the whale going down in the depths and being tossed by the waves, and he's praying. He's looking to the temple. He's remembering his God. He's repenting of his sins. He's turning from his idols to return to the Hesed grace and mercy of his God, and he says, I will sacrifice. If I ever get out of this fish, I will sacrifice to you. And I'll do it with a voice of thanksgiving. And the vows which I have made to you in the past, I will start keeping because I've been breaking vows. That's how I got into this mess. We don't have a lot of vows in our culture. We have some, a marriage vow. God expects us to keep our marriage vows. Men and women who join the military have vows to defend the Constitution. They're supposed to keep those vows. When we dedicate our children before the church and we acknowledge our children are a precious gift from God and that we want to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and point them to Christ for salvation, that's a vow we make, we are held to. God wants us to keep it. But the prophet here in the fish 
ready to repent, says, I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. And then he says, salvation's from the Lord. Salvation from my sin is from the Lord. Salvation from this predicament I'm in in the sight of a fish is from the Lord. It's from the Lord. It's not from me. I can't get out of this prison. I can't get out of this prison. It's interesting that these pagan sailors, excuse me, look at 16, chapter 116. They got to the same conclusion as pagans. Then the men feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made their vows. Isn't that interesting? That these Gentile pagan sailors saw the true power of God to calm the sea when they pitched God's disobedient prophet into it. A fish swallows him, and they decide with reverence, they decide to offer a sacrifice. I don't know what they sacrificed. Scripture doesn't tell us. But they sacrificed something on board the pitching ship in the sea. <laughs> they calmed down. They sacrificed something to Jonah's God. And they made vows. They made vows to promise to do something for Jonah's God. And then isn't it interesting that God, with his sovereign uh, hand of chastening, his spanking of the prophet using a fish, he brought the prophet still inside the fish around to the same place the pagans got to when they believed in his God. But Jonah says, I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Come here and see the fabulous performance of world-renowned pianist Sam Rockman for free on Saturday, September 10th and Sunday, September 11th. He has given over 2,700 performances in 60 countries and is described as a pianist of no small talent. He possesses a thoroughly prepared technique and his playing is convincing and alive. Come and experience Sam Rotman's profound, expressive, dynamic, and exciting concert performances for the first time in the Bahamas on either Saturday, September 10th at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Kirk on Princess Street at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday, September 11th at Calvary Bible Church on Collins Avenue at 6 p.m. Bring your family for a night to remember. For more information, call us at 326-0800. That is 326-0800. And now, today's personal God story. Well, good morning, uh, Brother Patrick Adderley. How are you this morning? I'm great. Great. I'm so glad to have you in the studio. You uh, grew up near Calvary Bible Church's property. Uh, please tell us where you where you grew up. Back in the day, it used to be called Over the Wall. Anyone who grew up in the Centerville off East Street area um, know that um, anywhere past Collins Wall, <laughs> we refer to that as, as, as Over the Wall. I grew up right through Thompson Lane, right off of East Street, in the back of Big One, uh, just a stone throw away from Covey Bible Church. Amazing, amazing. And you were telling me, Patrick, that on a certain night of the week when you were a boy, that something happened in that area. I think it was still on Tuesday night, um, because I remember very clearly um, we had um, Awana on Tuesday, and then um, we also had recreation on Friday nights. Oh. And so all roads in the community led to Calvary Bible Church on Tuesday and the whole entire block. And when I say block, I'm not talking about two or three corners. I'm talking about a whole series of about 10 or 15 corners, um, mainly from off of Wolf Road all the way up to the Fort Hill. 
everyone came to Calvary Bible Church. Um, I mean, it was a, an influx of... <laughs> Of deviance. <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of a be there or be square situation. Yeah. Even today, when I when I see my leaders, and there are just a few of them that are still around, I, I have to say a personal thank you to them. Um, because I know I could recognize now that I was a terrible, terrible child. Mm. And uh, the love that... They showed me, not only me, but a lot of my friends, even today, you know, they always ask me, you, you still go to Calvary Bible Church? Okay, well, how is brother this one? And how is brother that one? And where is this one? And where is the next one? I mean, and these are, you know, guys who have been into, have gone into so many different directions, but they still remember um, the love that these persons um gave them and showed them and, and how they helped them um, throughout their lives. That's, that's great to hear you. You repeated love uh, more than once. Um, I know that our local church continues to pray and work uh, to having community impact for the sake of Jesus Christ. And you're looking back on your own childhood, that time frame where really Calvary was blessed with a, a, a mighty impact on a large uh, geographic area and number of children. Um, would you say that love was the main factor that drew the children to the, the programs here? I can dare say that it was only love because, you know, coming from the demographics that we were from, the, the stories were endless, the homes and the abuse and the environment, all of that, all of that stuff that we came out of. And so Calvary Bible Church was a beacon. It was, it was a, a, a refuge for us, just a one night refuge that we can come to. And not that all of our problems went away, but for two hours it did. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I would imagine that when you maybe are a little starved for love, that you would be particularly uh, sensitive to when you felt it. Absolutely. I mean, the minute, look, the minute we bank the corner, um, normally um, a brother or sister will, will actually be right at the end of the fence <laughs> looking. Looking for the children. Looking for the children to come. And so, I mean, and, and, and you would always... No, because you you could see their smile from literally a mile away. Beautiful. And so we 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 ran. We we never walked Awana. <laughs> we ran to Awana. Wow. Well, stockade then. Yes. Well, as you well realize, uh, there are many different persons listening to us this morning from many different uh, assemblies and local churches. And I would venture to say that everybody, every church wants to have community impact. But I think what you're saying. Patrick, is that, that love is the key, Christ's love. And I just wanted to ask you, um, you work in, in Awana now. You're you know, paying forward what people put into you. Um, how would you compare the current um, children in Nassau versus your, your group of children at your age back then? Listen to me. You know, I would be the first to confess that the kids today they're not a half as bad as we were back then. Wow. I mean, they, they, these are choir boys to us. Wow. You know, I could, I could remember us, you know, rooting through this church, I mean, doing all kind of terrible, silly things as kids. 
you know, um, um, I mean, throwing all kinds of stuff around this church. And, you know, we always, always, even, even, you know, I could remember one of my um, friends, I mean, doing the, the, the most egregious thing. And they sat him down. Um, they, they spoke to him. Um, they talked to him. They prayed with him. And, and it was just all in love. Hmm. I mean, <laughs> you, you, I can't overemphasize how important, you know, the, the, the godly love um, has to exude these people that are on the front line of these ministries. You know, because, like I said, these kids come from all kinds of situation. Mm-hmm. And there are some evenings when if, if you're not called to do this, you, you just can't simply do it. Yes. You, you can't do it. You can't do it after work and the stresses of work and the stresses of life. And then you come here and then these kids are just on their own run. But when you are called to do this... There is a separation. And I know for me, you know, after I've, I've worked and I've, I do the transition and I, and I prepare myself both mentally and spiritually to deal with these kids because you have to come here with an open heart and open mind and, and with, a, with a, a deep spiritual footing. Yes. Because you don't know what you're going to come with, into when you get here. Yes. That's true. I wear glasses and uh, they, they inform what I see, how I see things. And it's almost like I think you're saying that the, the Christian worker in a church will have community impact. The Christian worker in that church has to put on the eyeglasses of Christ's love. All the time. To look through that, the lenses of Jesus' love for these, per, these children. Mm-hmm. Or these individuals, and that'll make all the difference. All the difference. Yes. Is there anything else that, that you think would be helpful for our listeners to know to do with community impact uh, for a church, to have community impact? You know, there are, there are times when you may be doing um, an outreach, mm-hmm. and you, you feel like you, you, you're not getting the kind of response numerically. Hmm. Um, that you'd wish, but I say um, to you to persevere. Um, you will be astonished. Um, you know the the success is not in the numbers. Yes. You know because you know if you if you if you're able to capture one for Christ, yes, just one, you you've made a big difference. I could remember telling um, Sister Audrey, our last commander, you know that even as a as a kid, um, the Awana leadership, um, at a specific time during the year, we did a walkabout through the community. We, we put on our, our formal dress. Yes. And, and we, we walked through the community. And, you know, um, we did that. And the response was tremendous. Uh-huh. It was like the next week, we doubled in, <laughs> in, in numbers, yeah. you know. Um, but... It is good sometimes to cast your net on the other side, mm-hmm. um, and it's good to sometimes just do something different. And I think the walkabout for us then was that difference to go back to what we used to do, 
to, to be visible mm-hmm. in the community. Mm-hmm. And so we, for a long time, depended on the kids to come to us. But every so often, we went to them. And just through walking through the community, you met some kids through those corners. And you could say, you know what, Jimmy, I see you at one for a while. But what, what, what happened? And Jimmy's mother is there, and you can address his mother right there. Yes. So, but why hasn't he been coming to Awana? Yeah. And so I thought that it was so good to, to, to put on my official Awana uniform and, and walk through the community and, and, and see, you know, all the fellows on the blocks. And they say, boy, for the part, you, you're still there. You're still with it, you know, and you can encourage them. Yeah, I still, yeah, man, send the kids. I, you can come by as well, <laughs> you know. Um, it, it was very, very powerful. Oh, that's great. So you're saying any church can have positive community impact by uh, loving with Jesus' love, by um, not focusing on numbers, but focusing on persons and by uh, going to the persons that you uh, want to love and not just expecting them to come to you as a church. Mm -hmm. That's so good. That's so helpful. And it's uh, to God's glory that that as a young boy, you were reached and taught in the things of the Lord at Calvary Bible Church. And now as a married man, uh, you are a vital part of our ministry and serving in Awana as one of our leaders. So thank you. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Good morning. My name is Pastor Nicholas Rogers here at Calvary Bible Church, and we're so glad you're listening. Today we want to talk about something that not only teenagers deal with, but also adults. And I think that if we all honest with ourselves, we face this almost on a daily basis. And that today is temptation. We need to understand, first of all, that all of us struggle with this. It's not something that just comes to certain people, but we all struggle with temptation. And in temptation, we have two choices. Everyone has two choices. You either give in to temptation or you flee temptation. And um, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I think one example that we can look at from the Bible, as I would always tell teenagers, is the example of Joseph. Joseph was a good example that it came to temptation when Potiphar's wife made advances at him over and over and over again, and, you know, he never gave in. Until the one day when Potiphar's wife came on to him and basically as what the scripture tells us, took his clothes off. And, you know, for us, when we sit and think of that, well, we, a lot of men or teenagers would say, well, Joseph, he was a punk. Something was wrong with him. But we have to understand, as the scripture says, that Joseph did the right thing because what he did is he flee, he ran. He didn't try to stay there and think that he had the ability to fight that temptation on his own, but he understood that God had a bigger plan for him. And he ran away. I think that as we see the example of Joseph, I think we must all think of that example as for ourselves, because when we think of temptation, our goal is not to get as close to temptation as possible and think that we can fight it on our own. No, our our goal is to flee, get away, stay away from it as possible, because we all have a flesh and we all struggle with flesh and we all have this problem of temptation and whatever it is, whether you struggle with pornography, whether you struggle with lust, whether you struggle with alcohol, Whatever it is you struggle with, the goal is not to try to get as close as possible to that temptation and see if you have the power to not to give in. No, the goal is to flee, run away. Um, Like I said, temptation is not just something that comes to us. It even came to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we think of the day when Satan came to him, um, Jesus had been uh, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and, um, you know, he was hungry. 
And what did Satan do? Satan didn't try to, to ask Jesus to do something that was impossible, but he asked him to do something that was very logical for anyone to think about. Well, I'm hungry. Why not take stones and turn them into bread? Uh, that would have been a great thing for him because he was hungry. He, his physical body was hungry. Think about you for a second. You haven't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights and somebody says, you know what, here's this meal. You're going to be ready to dig in. But Jesus could have easily dig into this, but no. What did he do? He fought it the best way that we can fight any temptation, and that's through the Word of God. He always repeated, it is written, it is written, it is written. He did it three times as Satan tried to tempt him. And I think that for us to fight temptation, we have to know the Scriptures. We have to seek out the Scriptures because in almost every situation that we can think of um, through temptation, there's always an answer in Scripture. And I think that that's where, as we think of... Um, where temptation is in our lives, we need to go to the scriptures and ask ourselves, how can we fight that? Um, it's not, like I said, it's not for us to just think on our own that we can do it ourselves. There's no one in our own flesh that can fight temptation. None of us. And I think sometimes we like to use the excuse that Satan made me do it. Um, this is not true. Um, Satan doesn't make us do anything. It's our choice that we do these things. Uh, we have a choice to either follow God or we have a choice to let Satan um, tempt us and we give in to that. And let's just remember this also as James talks about God never tempts us. He tests us. And I think that we need to understand this morning as we have look at temptation and we look at the example of Joseph that, you know what, we have to run. We have to run from those things that, that we struggle with. It's not good for an alcoholic to try to get as close to the bar as possible and think, I'm going to do this on my own. No, he can't. It's not good for a young person who struggles with pornography and think that I can go in the computer and when that pop-up comes up in the computer that I'm not going to push it to see what else is happening. You see, I know of an example that um, I heard once that this teenager went off to a, a camp and the lawyer convicted him of things that he would do in his computer he, when he came home, he took his computer and basically threw it in the pool because he said to himself, you know what? I can't go on that computer without destroying my life. So the best thing for me to do is just to basically get rid of that computer. Like I said, I'm not telling you to do that. But what I would say is this. Why do you have your computer in a, in a separate room? Why not have the computer in the living area where everyone can see what you're doing? Um, you need to take these points and think to yourself, what can I do to fight temptation? What can I do to stop temptation? Because I think that if we're all honest with ourselves, temptation comes to us when we're alone. This is when we have to fight it the most. When Satan wants to attack us, when we feel alone, when we feel no one cares, and he's saying, you know what? This one drink isn't going to hurt you. This one peak isn't going to hurt you. But you know what ends up happening? That peak turns into a big picture of, of pornography. Um, that little drink turned into me being drunk and alcoholic. Um, there's not one person who can honestly say that they didn't become an alcoholic without just one drink. So this morning, like I said, in closing, I would like us to just really understand that our point today is that we must understand that we do not in our own power have the power to fight temptation, but we need to study the Word of God and to see those areas of our lives that we need to change and that we need to flee from all temptation. Again, as James said, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Thank you. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. 
our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior. <music>